Welcome to the Creative South Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. This week, I'm talking with illustrator Laura B. of Ghostly Ferns. We chat about going it on her own as a freelancer right out of the gate after university, how Ghostly Ferns got started, and how they operate as independent contractors, how she battled depression, and what she did to start taking care of herself, and more, all right after this. It's no secret that I love Jack Prince. They're a longtime sponsor of the podcast and Creative South. Plus, they do great work. Whether they're making our pop-up displays and tablecloths or printing notebooks, Jack Prince is always there when we need them. This year, they are printing new Creative South t-shirts for me and the podcast stickers. They have a coupon code on the back that gives you a great discount on all of their products, just in time for Creative South. Speaking of stickers, Jack Prince will print any kind, shape, size, or stock, including full-color stickers with full-color liner prints, for you to use as product labels, promotions, bumper stickers, hang tags, business cards, and more. Right now, you can get 500 3x3-inch die-cut stickers, starting at $149. Plus, Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code CREATE15CS at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. If you like the Creative South podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. With options starting at just $1 per month, you can help support the podcast and even wind up with some cool Creative South podcast swag. When you become a Creative South patron, you'll get access to exciting Creative South news before anyone else. A shout out on the podcast thanking you for your support. Creative South podcast stickers and t-shirts. So, please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash creative south. Laura, thanks for joining me this afternoon for you, this this morning for me. Yeah, it's confusing. Uh, and thank you for getting up really early. I would have not got up at 6 a.m. because I'm not a morning person. Uh, you know, it was really only about an hour before I normally get up to go to work and all, so it wasn't that, that big is, deal. That is early. You would ne- never see me at that time of day. Oh, I'm not going to argue with that. It's definitely early. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I'll try to nap with my eyes open in the office today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do that. You have permission from me to do that. Okay. If anyone gives you any hassle, just send them my way. Sure. I'll, and I'll rough them up for you. I'll let you. I'll <laughs> let my boss know as he's escorting me to HR. <laughs> okay. Get Laura in here now. <laughs> yeah. So, just kicking it off, where did you where did you grow up? Uh, I am from the north of England, uh, a place called County Durham. Which there is a city, uh, Durham City too, uh, but I live like 20, 30 minutes out from that in a very sleepy little town. Uh, it's super beautiful. There's trees and fields everywhere. And if you ever want a place to relax, come and visit my family. You'll have a great <laughs> time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the people in the north of England are super nice and we would say uh, proper canny which means uh, like someone who's down to earth, like salt to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you, you would really like it. You should come and visit. <laughs> gotcha. When you were a kid, what were you into? Were you into art? Were you into sports? Were you just kind of all around? 
uh, as a kid, so I grew up as an only child. Uh And because I lived in the middle of nowhere, I was actually a little drive from my school. So I didn't really have my friends around. There was literally fields (laughs) and cows and, and things like that. Uh, so I spent a lot of time on my own as a kid, so it was very much me and my imagination. Uh, I loved to draw. I was one of those kids that never stopped drawing. It was never happier than when I was in the Crayola aisle. <laughs> that was like my jam. Did you have a favorite aisle when you were a kid? There was always one that everyone loved the most. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I mean, I always loved the, the you know, the art supplies and stuff like that but it, yeah. it, being a boy it was probably the transformers where the transformers oh, yeah, that's were pretty that's pretty cool too yeah uh i love glitter glue that was all glitter glue on it oh yeah <laughs> I probably bring that back into my work now <laughs> so i knew glitter glue trend <laughs> Who is um, was it? Lisa Franks? Is that who it was? Who did all the like glittery unicorn stuff oh, and all that? I don't know, but I should look that up. Um, yeah, and maybe get inspired and bring back the glitter glue, glitter glue trend. Yeah, I, d- I don't know if she would translate over into the UK, but she she did like notebooks and trapper keepers. Do you, did you have trapper creep keepers? You know what I'm talking? No, I don't know what that is. It was like a giant three ring binder for students. Uh, and they had all these cool designs and stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And hers was always very, lots of glittery unicorns and mm-hmm. fantasy mm-hmm. themes sort of stuff. But not like sci-fi fantasy, like yeah, yeah, the precursor to My Little Pony fantasy. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I used, I, one of my best friends at school was a guy called David. And I used to make him play with My Little Pony. And he used to get a little bit bullied for that from the other kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can re- you know. I can relate to him growing up I was uh yeah. so everybody in my neighborhood growing up all the guys were either a couple years older than me or a couple years younger than me and all mm-hmm. of the girls in the neighborhood were about my same age so I mm-hmm. ended up playing with all of the girls and my mom literally just sent me a picture um of me and my neighbor Gretchen both in um bridesmaid dresses yeah i love that i'm all for it yeah i was probably five mm-hmm. yeah that's amazing it, it. it makes me laugh mm-hmm. but yeah as a kid i was um <clears throat> just a bit of a I don't, I don't know if i was a loner but i did end up spending a lot of time by myself okay. you know, yeah just with my own imagination and whatever i had to hand always gotcha something more than what it was if that makes sense yeah, definitely. So as, as you got into school and especially, I know they don't call it high school there, but whatever the high school no. equivalent would be. Comprehensive uh, school. Comprehensive. Or secondary school. Yeah. So when, when you got to there, um, were you focusing on art classes? What were you, what, what was your, what mm-hmm. were you writing in? Yeah, so at that point, I was a little rebel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm talking like 13, 14, 15. I, really, I didn't care about school. Well, I, I cared about the things I was interested in, sure. uh, which was I really liked maths, I liked art, I did graphic products, which, which was more like technical drawing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved history, but everything else, I couldn't care less, I didn't try. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a bit sa- I've always been sassy. 
Uh, Sounds like me. So that was very, that was happening a lot around that time. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because <clears throat> I remember, I didn't know anything about graphic design. I knew I loved drawing, always had done. But whenever anyone asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was like, I would love to draw or do something like that. But I didn't know how that really translated into the professional world. Everyone around me had very normal jobs, admin, mm-hmm. my grandparents, were, you know, in industries, that kind of stuff, like building and seamstress and all that kind of thing. Uh, so I had this weird moment when I did a art exam and we had to make a poster for a futurism exhibition or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being sat in the exam because you can see what everyone else is doing around you. Sure. And I remember thinking, wow, everyone else's is so amazing. Someone had done, it was meant to be like a shattered mirror. And then there was bits of art in each shard of glass. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. Mine is so boring. Like, I thought I'd done terribly. <laughs> uh, and I got the results from that exam and I'd actually gotten an A star. Oh, wow. And I was like, how on earth? Mine was the worst. So I actually went to my art teacher and I was like, how? <laughs> what? This has to be wrong that I don't understand. And she, that was when she explained to me what graphic design was. Because what I'd done was I'd had this big heading at the top. Uh, I had two images uh, that would have been in the exhibition that I'd copied the, the artist's work. And then I'd had captions for both of them. And I had like a body text that explained... Uh, what was happening in the exhibition and then I had like the date and the location and you know I had like she explained to me what a hierarchy was and I'd somehow managed to put in some kind of grid system everything was all lined up and neat (laughs) and evenly spaced out and so I didn't know what graphic design was until that moment Uh, so yeah that was really weird to think that I'd just gone and done that without really knowing it was uh, a thing Gotcha. As, as when you when you get out of comprehensive school, do you continue your studies or do you just yeah try to figure things uh, out? Go ahead. Sorry. I I still didn't really know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's kind I of really, normal at sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, and I think it's because I was never really, I was never amazing at school, so. And nobody around me had really gone into like higher education. Uh, so I didn't really know what I wanted. Uh, and a friend of mine actually who did graphic products with me at school said, I'm going to do graphic design mm-hmm. at college. You might like that too. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what else am I going to do? So that's actually how I got into it. Uh, and I studied, I did a... Um, a national diploma for two years. So that was when I was like 17, 18 in graphic design. Mm -hmm. And then I did my degree for three years in graphic design too. Okay. When you, Um, go ahead. Yeah, that, that was all. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) When you get out of school, where do you end up working? What do you end up doing? It was really hard for me. Uh, So I graduated with a degree in graphic design, but my work, has always been very illustration heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything I've done has always included a ton of illustration because I just really enjoyed it. And that's how my brain worked in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it came out, I 
had this graphic design degree and I thought that I was going for graphic design jobs. But when I turn up, my portfolio just wasn't right for the for the jobs that were in the industry around me at the time. And I realized that I just struggled a lot and I just wasn't really hireable with the portfolio that I had. Sure. So what I did was I had a part-time job that I'd had through college and uni that was decent. It was actually at the UK government, like some office I'm not allowed to talk about, <laughs> but uh, I'm not allowed to say where I worked, but yeah, I had this like office job. Am I six? And it was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it, that was it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I had this like, office job and I worked 20 hours a week on an evening and it was really well paid for what it was mm-hmm. uh, and for just, you know, just having graduated. So I was able to do that on a night and then I had my day during the day free. Sure. Um, so I just worked on my portfolio. I started getting to know people in the industry. At the time in Newcastle, which is next to Durham where I live, there was a really cool tech startup community that was, you know, there was a lot going on there. There was a lot of events, there was co-working spaces. So I just started to get like getting to know people there and I, I got a desk at a co-working space and I just started freelancing. Uh, I started working with the, the startup teams that were in the space that I worked out of and it just kind of uh, snowballed from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was working with these like tech startup companies, uh, the work that I was doing was predominantly brand design, web and product design. So I was doing landing pages and some UI uh, but my bug fit illustration was still there. So when I was doing a landing page, for example, I'd do this cool illustration to go on it. And I was doing a lot of icons, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So it was predominantly in that tech world, but the work I was doing was mostly illustration for design and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it was all within that one uh, industry, I guess. And so for me, it was like, I drew a million cogs, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and I got to the point where that kind of became a little bit boring for me because I just, it's just the same theme a lot of the time repeated. Um, but I'd say that now my career as an illustrator is much more broad and colorful and not as many cogs. Uh, they'll never leave me alone, but. I've accepted that now. <laughs> now you just look at those as, well, that's a paycheck. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is what it is. Some people just need a cog. It's just what works. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I completely understand. So, so you never really had a traditional work for an agency or work in-house somewhere. No, I've never been employed as a, a designer or illustrator or anything like that. Always been on my Todd. On your Todd means on your own. <laughs> I, I, I figured it out by context. Okay. okay great, great. It took me a second, sometimes but I, I did. Sometimes I say things like that to my American friends, and they're like, "I have no idea what you are talking about." <laughs> so, as as you're coming up and as you're progressing as an illustrator and designer. How are you seeking out feedback to improve, um, whether it's consciously or unconsciously? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, feedback. Well, I've always worked out of a co-working space, mm-hmm. um, and so I think, and I'm, you know, I'm a very chatty person, 
And so I'm always working with people and, you know, I think there's just a natural part of being a designer and an illustrator. You are constantly critiqued. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think that I've never actively, like, seeked out feedback. Mm-hmm. It's just always been there. Um, and I am the kind of person that will always just keep pushing myself and uh, I'll never kind of settle, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, no, completely. <laughs> so... You know, you you've been doing this for a few years now. You're you're still living in the UK. At what point do you decide to move to New York, and and why? Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of had nothing to do with me, actually. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it did. Uh, but I moved to New York. It, Coming up six years ago now, so I actually lived there for about five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved there because I was my partner at the time, who I lived with in the UK, got a job out there. And I've always freelanced, so when that opportunity came up, we were like, "Let's let's just go." Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not with that person now, but I, when when that relationship ended, I'd already established my own community, my own friends, a way of life there that I decided to figure it out and stay mm-hmm. um and it was i joined uh studio mates did you hear of that co-working space it's not a put it's not a thing anymore mm-hmm. uh, but it used to be in dumbo in brooklyn mm-hmm. uh, and i joined that studio and it was super intimidating at first because it was full of all of these amazing designers and makers of all kinds uh, who were really well known in the industry, and I was like, "Don't look at my screen." <laughs> <laughs> so going back um, to uh, when you were taking those tests in comprehensive school, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I was looking at everyone else and going, "Oh my god, they're amazing." Mine's boring. Uh, <laughs> there's a theme emerging, <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, but yeah, these people were just so nice and humble, and just you know really really good people and just kind of accepted me and you know roped me in and I was like one of the gang and yeah just being around them all the time was super inspiring and and just a wonderful environment to be in very encouraging gotcha as 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 you're sticking it out there does your work begin to change do you start taking on less cog clients um and and more exciting projects for yourself um yeah so i think that the turning point with that would actually be when i was working on my application for my second visa Mm -hmm. um so this visa is ridiculous it's called an all one visa and the title of it is alien of extraordinary ability (laughs) i mean i feel like you should put that on your resume I, well, I want it on a t-shirt. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why this t-shirt has never come into my life, but I've said it for years that I should have it on a t-shirt. If only uh, you I knew a designer this... who could make a I t-shirt. Know, I, know. <laughs> I think it would be really weird if I made that for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so when, <laughs> so when I was working on that visa... As an illustrator, so, you, so Alien of Extraordinary Ability, you have to show that you, you're very talented at what you do. I think the terminology is like outstanding in your field. Mm-hmm. Um, and the visa world is very stuffy and outdated, in my opinion. 
Welcome uh, to bureaucracy. Yeah. Uh, because as an illustrator, all of my work at that point lived, you know, on websites and in apps and, you know, in that tech coggy world. Sure. We'll call it the cog, cog world from now on. Um, and they didn't recognize that as anything noteworthy. Mm-hmm. To them, an illustrator was somebody who was published in books and magazines, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's like still a thing and it's still amazing. Mm. It's just a different part of the industry. Right. It's not the only place an illustrator's work lives. Um, oh, also one of the things that one of the boxes you could tick for this visa was like a Nobel Prize. Oh. So I was like, I'll just get that thing out of the storage, just dust it off. We've got the visa. It's fine. Sure, they hand those out left and right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, but yeah, when I realized I was never going to get a Nobel Prize, uh, I actively started looking for like editorial work mm-hmm. um, to try and tick those boxes. <coughs> it wasn't something that I did, but I just thought, well, we'll, we'll figure that out. And I actually got a lot of help from a friend of mine, illustrator Daniel Fischel. Mm-hmm. You know him? I, I know the name, I, and I'm familiar with his work. But yeah. yeah, he's such a great guy, super helpful, very knowledgeable. I, he does a lot of editorial work. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to him for advice on how do I like break into this world and who do I need to talk to? How do you get editorial work? Uh, so he gave me a ton of advice. And I just started reaching out to art directors and going to events. Um, and it was actually at an, an event at the New York Times I went to. And I met an art director, Martin G. from Time magazine. Mm-hmm. And he ended up being the first art director that hired me for an editorial piece. So my first editorial piece was in Time magazine. And I was like, this is bananas. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. <Just slouching> there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is this? This is ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I ended up through like actively searching for that work. I ended up doing stuff for Time Magazine, Scholastic, Adweek, mm-hmm. companies like that. Um, and it, so I think that because of that, it, that thing with the visa and, you know, having to push, it, it pushed my identity as an illustrator beyond the cog world illustrator girl <laughs> sure um and i mean don't get me wrong i i still work for companies like that i still work for tech companies and startups and it's it is a great space to work in mm-hmm. icons are my jam um but i think that i have more to offer than just that so expanding my identity uh was really helpful at that point in a way that i didn't really understand i thought it was you know means to an end to get the visa but it's actually benefited me in a much bigger way gotcha at what point do you hook up with the uh ghostly ferns crew of you know meg jen and everybody else yeah that was uh when i joined studio mates okay so meg and i actually sat next to each other and both of us at the time were kind of working in with the same types of clients you know doing web projects and tech companies and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, but she did more uh, product design, branding. And by that point, I've, I'd kind of gotten into like icon illustration world, but still within the tech, you know, I'd stopped doing product design as much. Um, so it just seemed right that we would collaborate on things, on projects together. Mm-hmm. 
she'd get a project in and she'd need some icons or I'd get a client who I'd just do illustration for, but then they also needed a designer. So we just kind of started collaborating from there on. Uh, and Jen and Brad both worked in our studio too. Um, Jen went full-time freelance and then we all just were like, we were moving to a new studio uh, that had this cool attic space that had four desks in it. Mm -hmm. So we're like, why don't we all sit in the attic together? And why don't we just join forces and be ghostly firms? Um, so yeah, that's how we joined forces. And, and you know, it wasn't, it was never, we were never like an agency as such, even though I'm sure at one point we got nominated for agency of the year. (laughs) I can't even remember like what award it was, but we were like, we were laughing about it because we're, like, we're not even an agency. Like, what, what is that? Um, but yeah, we've always worked as independent freelancers first and foremost, doing our own business. But we'll just collaborate when a project comes up, because our skills are all different, but they overlap in a way that means that you know collaborating on a project sometimes can be amazing. Gotcha, and. So from the business side of things, Mm -hmm. there's no like LLC for ghostly ferns or. Well, there was. There was. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did, we did do that in the end. We had a a multi-member LLC, Mm -hmm. but we still operated exactly the same way as, you know, as a mentality, we were individual uh, people, freelancers. Uh, but basically, the only difference would be if a client hired me, mm-hmm. any of my clients, they would pay Ghostly Firms the company, and then Ghostly Firms would pay me. Gotcha. So that was the only difference. The money wouldn't go into my bank account. It would go into Ghostly, via Ghostly Firms to my bank account. Gotcha. Um, but that was the only difference. We're, we're all very like-minded, mm-hmm. and I think that's the key to making this arrangement work. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, if you're all... <clears throat> operating as freelancers and working on your own projects and then collaborating when it makes sense that, you know, Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of designers and freelancers, that's like the best of both worlds. Yeah. And it's great for the clients too, because they, for example, I could be working with a company for a a year is just doing illustration for them on and off. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they need a designer and, it's more comfortable for them to work with Meg or Brad sure, because they know me. So it's less of a cold call that way. And it's their trust more. Mm. Uh, and it just, as well as as a team, we're super versatile. So you could pick one or two of us or three of us or all of us, whatever your project needs really. Gotcha. So as, as you stay in New York and all that, you eventually reach a point where it doesn't make sense for you to be over here anymore mm-hmm. and you move back to to Durham how does that um how did that come about and 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 why did you decide yeah. to stay this one's a a really hard one to answer because a lot of people have asked me why why did i leave new york and it's just really hard to pinpoint but um I think it was just a sum of a few things and it wasn't for me anymore. I couldn't see my future there. Mm. I think New York, everyone knows it's a very transient place. People go there for a while, but they, a lot of the time they don't put their roots down there. Mm. 
you know, it's not a place where you see people growing old unless they're really a native New Yorker. I mean, you know, some people do, but not a lot of the time. Sure. Um, and honestly, I knew that, I think, for over a year before I left, I knew I wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. But the thing that stopped me was because I didn't know what was next. I didn't, why would I leave something that's working, that's comfortable, that where I have friends to go and where do I go next? Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea. Um, and I think a lot of the time people move because they get a job or sure. you know, they move with somebody. I was doing it on my own as a freelancer and it's, it's hard to make big decisions when it's just you, uh, you know, on, on your Todd again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, so the, the fear of taking that leap into the unknown, after a while, it became scarier to not take that leap. Gotcha. Uh, I couldn't stay in a place that wasn't for me out of fear of not knowing what was. It just, I knew it wasn't right and that just became more scary. Mm-hmm. And I decided that I would leave and then figure it out. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, but as well, up until that point, I'd had a really rough year personally. Mm-hmm. Professionally, 2017, best year yet. It completely shocked me. Uh, the projects that I had were amazing. I gave some talks. Uh, I did my biggest project for my biggest client. I had did a 50-foot by. 11 foot mural for adidas Mm. that was incredible uh and the projects were just flying in left right and center and i was you know juggling them all some tight time frames and i was really really giving it my all but the whole time throughout that year my personal life was just throwing punches at me repeatedly stuff just kept happening and it's like what why why is this why is this it was just so relentless um, but I just kept going, assuming that a break would, you know, I'd catch a break sooner or later. And I think that's like a, men- a freelancer mentality. It's, you know, you've got like a busy month or two, but sure. then, you know, it's probably going to be quiet and you can, you know, rest and recuperate. Um, but yeah, my break never came that year. And it, it, I was already exhausted by the time November rolled around. And then I had to fly home overnight because my grandma was dying and then I ended up actually having to look after her for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And so that was really, really hard. And on on top of the relentless year that I'd already had, it was just, wow, this is kind of a breaking point. Um, I'd hit my limit. I was exhausted emotionally and physically. Sure. And I just, I think that was when I really bit the bullet with New York and was like, I need to do something for me now um it's time i i so i'd gone home for christmas and when i was with my grandma and then i'd come back to new york in january and i think it was only two weeks after i'd come back i decided i wanted to leave and just figure it out i was just ready for the next chapter i'd had enough um but that's not to say i was you know i didn't really part with new york on terms that i didn't like it anymore i still love it i think it's an incredible place i miss it but I just knew it wasn't for me. Um, so yeah, I left, I left New York in March 
and uh, I made a pact with myself to uh, to not to have work take the back seat for a couple of months and take care of myself. And I I still took on some work, but it was very select client work. I maybe worked at 25% of what I usually do. It wasn't even, I don't even know if you could call it part-time. It was, <laughs> I really slowed down and I focused on, I went to therapy. I've had some like physical health things. I've had to go to the doctor's a bunch. Um, I was like working out, meditating, eating well, which, you know, they all seem like very simple and obvious things to do to look after yourself. But I think when you've really put yourself through the ringer like that and you're depressed, Mm -hmm. it's easy to forget about all of those things. It's easy to not take care of yourself. Sometimes you don't even have the energy to do what you know is right for you. Sure. You just kind of like give up a little bit. No, I I completely um, understand that. I I've dealt with this, that stuff myself. Yeah, and and it's hard to to like to make yourself a priority sometimes. It sometimes feels like there isn't space for that. Sure. Um so yeah, I I stopped working as much and did all of those things. I had more of a it can wait attitude rather than before I would have been like it can't wait. So I'll order delivery and I'll skip the gym so I can finish this work mm-hmm. where you know those those other things are important like cooking for yourself and working out and looking after yourself physically mm-hmm. um so yeah that's kind of what I've been doing for the past uh three four months and it's been scary to put work on the back seat and honestly for a couple of months I really didn't care about it anymore mm-hmm. I was like, I don't care and that was terrifying to me because I thought, what if I don't, is that it? Is that, have I just completely lost, have I lost my passion for this? Will I ever care again? Is this the end of my career? And I had to keep reminding myself that this healing phase was super important. And, you know, I have to trust in it and I just have to kind of let go of control. Um so yeah, and now I'm kind of on the other side of that. I feel incredible. I have my passion back. I have my enthusiasm. I have all of these ideas. I've started, you know, working at full speed again. And it just feels really great to be on the other side and be so thankful that I trusted myself and taking that step back and listening to what I needed. Because it's easy to just ignore that. I think it's it's scary to do all of the things that you need to do. Sure. You know, as you're kind of dealing with the mental health stuff that's going on, you know, and, and that can definitely affect your physical health and things like that. Plus mm-hmm. you're being run ragged at both ends by, you know, having to take care of your grandmother and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. When, when the work started taking a back seat, do you think at first that was intentional or do you think that was, the depression not allowing you to be able to to do that it was definitely both because i i definitely did it with intention Mm -hmm. but for example when i got scared i'd be like okay i'm going to work on something personal and you know i have these ideas for little like side projects that i could be working on and i just couldn't do it Mm. i couldn't do i didn't have it in me i so yeah i 
initially it was intention, but also when I tried to pick back up when I wasn't ready, I couldn't do it. Gotcha. And so it, what the depression, what did stop me to a certain extent too. Sure. I can relate to that. Cause that, that for me, that's like, I can do my day to day job and be fine, but the coming and doing the things that I want to do or the things that I need to do for myself mm-hmm. always gets put on a back burner because I'm just so mm-hmm. drained by the end of the day, not because mm-hmm. work was hard or anything like that, but just because of you know, stupid stuff that shouldn't matter, but my brain, you know, yeah. turns that into a full on attack and yeah, I, and I shut down. And then, you know, the procrastination is that self doubt that comes in. So definitely I, brains are weird. Brains are definitely weird. And fascinating. And, 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 and the reason I touch on that is because, you know, you, you've mentioned a couple times of that, that inner monologue of self doubt that, that hits you, you know, during the comprehensive exams when you're looking around and you're, mm-hmm. you're thinking, well, everybody's stuff is better than me. And and then when you're in the co-working space and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, how do you how do you combat that? How do you basically push that aside and say, you know, fuck you. I am good enough. I can do this. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like I yo-yo between the two mindsets <laughs> of the doubt and then the I am worthy. And, you are an alien you know, of extraordinary ability. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sassy as hell and I'm cool and, you know, all of those things. And I actually talked to my therapist about this and what she said was really helpful in that, you know, you don't, the, the doubt sometimes can assist you. And, you know, it's not too different. So you've got like the I believe in myself and I'm good at this or I'm not good at this. Mm. If you just had the "I'm great at this, I'm amazing," like would you would you actually be? Because then would you not try as hard? Would you not give it your all? Because you think, "Oh, I've got this; it's fine." You'd be you know, the, you'd be orange and president of the United States. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nobody wants that. No. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, having a little bit of that doubt is actually useful. Um, if you use it in a useful way, it can be destructive if it becomes too overpowering and that's when you need to, you know, do something about it, talk to somebody. Uh, but having a little bit of it is actually helpful. And, and if you feel overwhelmed by it, look at it and be like, how, how can I turn this into something more constructive and helpful to me? Um, you know, it's just making sure that I'm going that extra mile. It's making sure that I'm pushing myself and giving it my all. Uh, so that was a really helpful perspective to to be given. But yeah, if I'm ever overwhelmed, you know, therapy has been great. But also my friends are so encouraging and supportive. And, you know, those relationships, having those positive people around you is just the best. Sure. As as you progress through it, and because and, I feel like, and this is for me, I feel like my depression and anxiety is almost akin to like if someone's an alcoholic, you know, they're never cured. They're Mm -hmm. just in recovery. Yeah. You know, how have you found that process for yourself? How do you, how do you try to keep yourself on the straight and narrow and, Mm -hmm. and, and be beneficial and how, how does that work? 
I mean, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking because I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I think that it's it's hard, and um, I feel great right now. But I'm very aware of the fact that I've just put in a lot of work, and I've taken a big time out. Uh, and I had that conversation too with my therapist. Of she actually said that I didn't need to go anymore to therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I got to the point where I was going to her and saying this happened and this is how I dealt with it um but I said to her I was like I know that I understand the benefits of doing this on the longer term what do you think I should do and she said stop coming um but if something comes up which it inevitably will then you could just come back to me and I think that knowing just accepting the fact that you're never going to like things are going to come up life is life Mm-hmm. And just being able to recognize when you need that little bit of extra help and you need that little bit of support and getting what you need, whatever that might be, and learning what works for you. Um, taking the time to understand that now so that when you feel terrible and at your worst, when some major life event happens, you don't have to figure it out then. You've already figured it out. So you can just go, okay, this is my... Almost like when you are going to have a baby and you have your hospital bag ready, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're not sure when you're going to go into labor, but you need to have all your things that does that make sense? I realize I'm just blabbering. No, no, that makes sense. It's just be prepared that, you know, there are going to be bumps on the road and yeah, know what you need to do before you need to do it. Sure. You know, as you get through this and you're trying to figure things out, what are some of the professional goals that you've kind of reestablished for yourself now that you're kind of past the the dark the darkest days mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um honestly i am not sure i've always been one of those people that's just things have just happened and developed and i've never really like with the editorial stuff that was never a goal of mine sure this happened um I think that I want to get to a place where I am doing more work that utilizes my personal style. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I really established that a lot in the last year and I'm, I'm really happy with where it's going. And I would love to do like a, a bigger personal project that's meaningful. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I... I think it's it's hard for me to answer that question right now because I've consciously made work not my focus. Sure. So, yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. But for the time being, I'm not putting big goals or any pressure on myself. I'm just going to ease back into it and hopefully have fun while I'm doing it. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense to take baby steps and, and, and mm-hmm. not overwhelm yourself right out of the gate. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of pressure too for, to, for designers, illustrators, whatever, to to have this like big plan and this big picture of this mountain that you're going to climb. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to just take a stroll and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, for like you said, that for a lot of designers, that's, that's something that I'm trying to find out, figure the right way to phrase it. There's, there's that well, you're, you're a designer, you should always be freelancing. And, you mm-hmm. know, even if you work a day job, you should have all of these side projects and you should be doing all this. And it's like, right. you know, 
sometimes and for some people the day job's enough and yeah. you don't need to put that extra pressure and absolutely listen to what's right for you mm-hmm. yeah you don't have to do side projects you don't have to have these big goals you can simply go about doing your thing and paying the bills at the end of the day it is a job mm-hmm. um and that and it can be just that for someone but i think uh, the thing is with our industry, a lot of people are just so passionate about what they do yeah. that it becomes so much more than that. And, you know, and then that being the majority, mm-hmm. that then almost becomes seen as the norm, which it shouldn't. Right. Well, I think that's why, you know, going back to the mental health stuff, I think that's why so many designers and illustrators and people in the creative industry probably deal with mental health, health issues mm-hmm. is because our identity is so wrapped up in being creative, which is also our job, which, you know, then we take home and we still want to do creative things that Mm -hmm. aren't our job. And it's, you know, when you get kicked enough times in one of those aspects, you Mm -hmm. know, it just, it it can spiral out of control. Yeah. It's complicated. Very, very. (laughs) We're gluttons for punishment. (laughs) Yeah, we really are. So, so speaking of side projects, I want to ask mm-hmm. you about something that, you know, I saw you post up on, I don't remember if it was Instagram or Facebook, but it probably was mm-hmm. both, you know, <laughs> nowadays. Probably, probably. <laughs> um, All of the things. Your embroidery, how did that get started yeah. and why? And are you doing this by hand? I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, so that I... So going back to just before I left New York, I made this tiger illustration mm-hmm. um, just because I wanted to. I think I just got I got my iPad iPad Pro earlier mm-hmm. that year. I got it around Christmas time, and I was just like playing around with it, you know, and just making illustrations for fun. And so I made this tiger, and my friend Julia, uh, out of my studio, was so adamant that she needed this illustration on a sweatshirt i need it you have to make it it has to be a thing <laughs> and so my initial thoughts went straight to cotton bureau i love cotton bureau i've had a bunch of shirts on there they're amazing people uh-huh. um but i was stalling on it and i didn't know why and she was like have you put it up yet have you put it up yet and i hadn't and i and i couldn't think why i was stalling on it and then anyway one night <laughs> I had a dream um, that my grandma gave me an embroidery kit. She like came to me and she she gave me this embroidery kit and and then she just left and that was it. And I woke up the next day and I was like, wow, that was a weird dream. And then I thought, and then like a few hours passed and I was like, what if I embroidered the tiger? I think that's why I'm stalling on it because I don't like the idea of it being screen printed and it being like flat. Sure. I think that this, the design would look better if it had some texture to it. And I was like, what if that was a sign? <laughs> <laughs> and then after I came to that conclusion, I remembered that my grandma was a seamstress too. So I, whatever that all means, if it meant something or nothing, I really liked it and I decided, you know, at that point I knew I was going home in a few weeks. I knew my plan 
and I thought, you know, embroidery would be something really nice to do. It would be, it seems like therapeutic and, you know, just a really nice little hobby to take up to kind of, you know, chill out and but also have fun doing something new and learning a skill that's, you know, it's not on a screen or, or it's not drawing. It's not something that, you know, I see as like a work thing. Um, so I thought I'll just give it a try. Good. And so I started just embroidering whatever, like flowers and shapes and just, I did, I had like a doodle um, sheet where I just embroidered whatever on it. <laughs> and actually, it, it came to me pretty fast and I was doing things and I was like, wow, this is, how did I do that? Um, didn't really look at any tutorials. I just made it up as I went along. Uh, I have a younger brother who's 14 years old, Thomas. And he's always been into textiles and sewing and all of that. So he actually taught me a couple of stitches. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he, he's really happy. He's like, you, you know it all because of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, has he let that go to yeah, his head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I, I was just doing that. And it was really, really therapeutic and really nice. I found, like, once I'd really learned how to do it and I could just zone out, while I was sewing and I'd listen to audiobooks and podcasts while I was doing it. And, you know, your brain can't wander when you are visually and audibly occupied. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a really, really nice thing to do. Uh, in terms of plans of what I'm going to do with it, I have no idea. Because <laughs> it's time consuming. Very much so. I mean, they do make sewing machines now that, you know, if you want to get lazy on it, you can embroider with those. Yeah. Now, I realize they are fairly expensive, so. Yeah, probably. <laughs> My sister-in-law has one there. They're a good couple grand to get oh, wow. to get a decent one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. But it's been super fun to learn. Gotcha. Well, we're getting kind of close to our time, but I want to ask, mm-hmm. you know, since you're in the process of figuring things out and trying to decide what you want to do, where you want to be mm-hmm. and all that, have you come to any conclusions yet? Yes, I do think I have. <laughs> uh, I really like Manchester. Okay. Uh, it's a city in the UK and it's, it's like one of the larger cities in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's smaller than London, but it's, you know, it, it has a lot of stuff going on like it has a, a city center and it has like all of the things that I'm used to having in my life from living in New York mm-hmm. but it's just that little bit smaller and a little bit more intimate and um I spent a week there a couple of weeks ago and everybody was so welcoming at that point I only knew two people mm-hmm. in the city and when I was there one of them was actually out of town so I only knew one person prior to this trip and I made so many friends when I was there. There's such a really nice creative community. Um, everyone's really welcoming and encouraging. And I went away with more friends and everyone said, you know, if you need help with anything, let us know. So that was so nice because having a community of good people around me is something I've always had. Uh, and that was the scary part about leaving New York too, is sure. leaving that behind and going into the, oh, am I, am I going to find that again? Um, so yeah, the people were really nice. And I stayed in a couple of different areas there and loved them both. And I actually yesterday went apartment hunting. So 
we'll see what materializes from that. But there was one in particular that I liked a lot. Gotcha. Well, good luck with that. Because uh, apartment hunting is not fun. <laughs> no. I mean, I mean the, the one fun, that I liked was really when you fun. Find, I was... When you keep running into ones that... Go ahead. No, yeah. The the first part of the day yesterday, everything I saw I didn't like, and I definitely got a bit grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> I... But it was it was all resolved when I saw the, the one that I like a lot. So I was grinning ear to ear. So we'll see how that goes. Good, good, good. <laughs> uh, well, real quickly, before I set you free, where can people find you online? Uh, my website is lovelyascanbe.com with like B-E-E, mm -hmm. uh, the bumblebee. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Laura B, L-A-U-R-A-R-B-E. Awesome. Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat thank with me. Thank you. It's been a blast. I've, I have enjoyed it as well. And uh, go out and <laughs> hug some necks. Oh, yeah. yeah you too. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. You can find out more about Laura on her website, lovely as can be. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with her. You can keep up with the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at Creative SO Pod and follow Creative South on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creative South GA over at CreativeSouth.com. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Jack Prince is giving Creative South podcast listeners 15% off all orders over $25 when you use promo code CREATE15CS at checkout. Visit jackprince.com for your next order of stickers, prints, or whatever you need today. For a limited time, new Skillshare customers can get their first three months for just 99 cents to get unlimited access to thousands of classes when you sign up at Skillshare.com using promo code CREATIVESOUTH. What are you waiting for? Start learning today. And remember, if you like the show, help support us over at patreon.com slash creativesouth. And if you like the Creative South podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Rate us and leave a review. This helps more people find the podcast and allows us to keep getting awesome guests. Now go out and hug some necks.